All right, let's pray. Well, this morning, Lord, we thank you uh, for this uh, incredible opportunity. Uh, this opportunity that we can just rest as you manifest your love towards us and, and how you are resting in the sun of your love. And our proper place is to rest there with you and experience a father's love through his precious son. Thank you so much, Lord, for that rest that we have, that peace that's immovable. And I thank you for that, Lord, this morning. I just pray you would help us as we receive your word, to help us uh, and just eliminate in our own minds, our own minds, each of our minds, any kind of distraction that the enemy would use to keep us uh, just from receiving your love and moving us out of a place, our proper place, which is resting in that love that you so desire, that's so essential for you to manifest your love uh, towards us so that it's obviously in us and that we can share that love first with each other and then to go out and share that love with, with a lost and a dying world. I bless the word this morning and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in in uh, Genesis, in Genesis the first chapter, and we're going to read Genesis the the first chapter, and for us to understand Genesis. So when we see this in in verse one of chapter one, and when it says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. When, it's, when it speaks of these things, and let's read it a little further, and then obviously it says that the earth was without form and void. Many believe that there was a separation here between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. They believe that when God would create things, he would not create them in the sense of being void or empty and without purpose. So God did create the earth for a purpose. We know now through the scriptures that he not only created it by his son, the word in John 1, 1. He, he not only created it in John 1 and verse 3, he created it by him and for him in Colossians 1 and verse 16. But what had happened was there was that angelic conflict. This is brought out in Isaiah, the 14th chapter. Uh, you can start around verse 7 and go to verse 17 to 18 in Isaiah. And then you can see in, I, in Ezekiel 28 and verse 15 down through the end of the chapter that there was this conflict. This is before mankind was born, was ever made, Adam, long before then. We see this in these chapters here. And so when it says this, and that the earth was without form and void, empty, and it says that darkness was was upon the face of the deep darkness. And the Spirit of God moved and really was brooding as like a like for instance a hen on the eggs. It was brooding uh, upon the face of the waters. And then it says, God said, Let there be light. Now this is before the sun and the moon and the stars are created. But he said, Let there be light. Now we know for us, 
who the light is. We know in John 8 and verse 12 that Christ said, I am the light of the world. He that walks in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So light always is an expression of a life that has been created by God in terms of who he is and God is love. So it's a love life. So Jesus Christ, the creation of God, is, the, is that man, and he's the man of this glorious gospel of the man who is that man of this love life that came out as the light to manifest it to us. Now, again, it says here, again in Genesis 1 and verse 3, and it says, and God said, let there be light. Isn't that interesting? And there was light. So God speaks something, and it is. It is. So when God speaks something, he speaks it from an eternal viewpoint. And that means it's unchangeable. So what God says is unchangeable. You can't add to it or take away from it. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2. Deuteronomy 11 and verse 32. And in Proverbs 30 verses 5 and 6, you can't add to it or take away from it. You can't add anything because it's complete. God is complete in himself, and so he speaks from himself. <laughs> and so here, again, it says in verse 4, and then God saw the light. And what did he say? That it was good. So where is goodness located? It's in God expressing himself through the light that his son is. And then he said this, and then God divided the light from the darkness. Now this is physical creation, but we're gleaning and we're going to see where all of this came from. But that light that is separated from darkness, it speaks of this eternal separation. There's an eternal separation from light and darkness, from good and evil. And so as we read down through here, we see in verse 5, well, in the rest of verse 4, God saw the light, that, that it was good. And really, it's God saw the light. That's good. <laughs> and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day. And who's our day spring? Who is he? He's Christ. He called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And darkness, or night, so to speak, is the absence. But for us, it's the absence of his physical presence, but never his spiritual presence, because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And so, night. And that's what Jesus was saying in John 9 and verse 4. He said, I must work. Uh, the works of the Father, while it is called day, because there's going to be a night, he said, when men work no more. Meaning, Jesus Christ, okay, he fulfilled all of that. He finished the work in John 19 and verse 30. And so God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Very interesting. The evening, just as it just it start, the darkness starts to go away, it starts coming into, into what is called day. Evening, the latter part is starting to come into day. 
And boy, aren't we, as his, his church in Matthew 16 and verse 18, of which he's the foundation in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11, aren't we that much closer to a face-to-face -face meeting with him and the day? And he's forming that in us right now, the light of who he is, the very essential nature and character and essence of God he is forming in us, preparing us for that day, that meeting with Christ face to face in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. And so that's in the, the uh, evening and the morning. And again, this is bringing in, in a beautiful way, what God was accomplishing through Christ on Calvary. There was an evening. And there was an evening, and then he was crucified. And there was darkness, it says. And you can see these truths here in Matthew, the 27th chapter, when Christ was created, it was dark. But then, then it began to break, and evening came. And then he rose from the dead. He's our day. And that always speaks of the day we have. Christ is our day is resurrection life. We have this resurrection life. All of us have it already. And so, and then God said, he, he, the evening and the morning were the first day. And Jesus rose on, on what? What is the first day of the week? The Sunday. That's when Je Jesus was crucified on a Friday, literally. And he rose on a Sunday. On a Sunday, that's when he rose. And of course, thank God, all of us, as we, our faith looks back to the finished work, we, we agree with God and how he saw us, not violating our will, not choosing certain others to go to heaven and certain others to go to hell, regardless of their will. And then ascribing evil to God's will, which would never be the case according to the God-breathed scriptures in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. And then we meet him. We meet him in Christ. And that's where we've met him. And he never leaves us. Since that meeting, he never leaves us nor forsakes us in Hebrews 13 and verse 5. And he, he never, ever, ever will fail us in, in Joshua 1 and verse 5. He will never fail us. And that simply means in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8, his love never fails, never fades. The love that he has for us in Christ never fades. Ever. He always sees us perfect in him. This is all of these are bringing out. Okay. And then we can go on all the way down through. And just for time for this morning, we can go all the way down through here. And then we see his creative acts. And all of it in the 31st verse of, of Genesis 1, all of it was created. And it was all very Good. And there were specific times of his creation in certain days when he created certain things. Then when he created man, he created man on the sixth day. He created man on the sixth day. Man's number is six. Uh, five is grace, is the number for grace. Four has to do with the earth. North, south, east, west. It has to do with the earth. Three, obviously is beautiful. It's, it's the Trinity and the oneness, number one, of who God is. 
and then we can be separated to him. Two is separation. We can be separated to evil or be separated to the good that Christ is and God having made made his love and justice to be met thereby through his son. He's made us to be good in him, but he's the source of it. This is all this is bringing. So he created, he created um, Adam and Eve, but it's very interesting. When, even when we look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, it says, and God said, let us make man in our image. In our image. After our likeness, you see. We can be like him in terms of receiving, but never be him. <laughs> that's why God is love. And that's why we're called children of light. Never children of love, but children of light, because God is love. Okay, and Christ as the light came out from him. That's brought out in John ch chapter 1 and verse 4. And he, and he is the life, and that life was the light of men, you see. And that light, the scriptures that Christ is, brings us when we receive it by grace. No merit on our own, no works on our own. It brings us back into what kind of a relationship? A loving relationship. So he created Adam, and of course we know he created Adam and Eve. right? Because when he created man, what he was saying was, if we look down further in Genesis chapter 2, right? The Lord God caused a, in verse 21, Genesis chapter 2, to understand Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Why? Because in verse 20, he created all these animals, God, Christ did in his pre-incarnate state, and he brought them to Adam, and whatever name he gave them, and names were indicative of how they would function in their character. He gave names to all cattle, to, to the fowl of the uh, air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. Where did God find the helpmeet for Adam? Well, for him to bring it out, verse 21, the Lord God caused, and we know God's cause is what? Love. He caused a deep sleep, a place of rest to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken out of man, taken from man, made he a woman. Made he a woman. The Hebrew says he built her. He built a woman. He formed Adam from the dust of the ground. He built a woman <laughs> in all her beauty. And that's the truth of the matter, seriously. And so, and then what? He made her a woman and he brought her unto the man. I wish, truthfully, young people would not allow God to do the choosing, to be so occupied with him. They're so resting in a place of like rest, sleeping, but rest, that God would now bring, bring the proper man to, to her and, and the man to bring a proper woman. Uh, to him. See, because who does that? God brought. God brought. And that speaks of marriage, by the way. And that speaks of a man and a woman. Marriage has to do that reveals God's image 
And that has to do between a man and a woman. There's no such thing as two men getting married in God's eyes. There's no such thing as two women getting married in God's eyes. And if you can look at the scriptures with me, you will see in the book of Leviticus in 2013 and, and many others in Revelations 1, 18 to 32, any, anyone that pictures themselves and thinks that they have the right to marry outside of the image of God, okay, it's called lesbianism and homosexuality. It has nothing to do with marriage whatsoever, ever. It is a violation and a hatred to the very image of God himself. Because if I believe the scriptures, he created them in his image. And boy, he had his son and his church, you and I, in mind. Because even when we read, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, he is talking about Christ loving the church. And a man that submitted to Christ as his head in Colossians 1.18 and Colossians 2 and verse 19, he is going to love his wife the way that Christ loves the church, period. And there's a lot of training that goes on in relationships and the, and the experiential making of a gift that a man may even have, maybe as a, as a pastor teacher, maybe so, but in marriage he's training him. Then he's training the wife. There's a lot of training going on and it has to do with the very image of God because that is the most intimate expression of God's image is between a man and a woman in marriage. This is what this brings out. So we see that God creates Adam from the dust of the ground, and of course, and then he brought the woman. And Adam said, and then he took out of, he took out of Adam, Adam is Ish in the Hebrew, and he took Eve, Isha, out of Adam. This clearly speaks of what we're going to see in John, the first chapter, in those first 18 verses. Because the Bible speaks about, in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, you could start in verse 40 down to the end of the chapter, there's the first Adam and the second Adam. I, get, I am telling you that it says when God created man in his image, I tell you, he had Christ. Because <laughs> he knew Adam was going to fall. He knew that. So he, so he had Christ in mind without any question about it, even before, because he foresaw everything. And his, his foreknowledge, his determinate counsel in foreknowledge in Acts 2 and verse 23, and that goes into Jeremiah 29, verse 11. God knows the thoughts that he thinks towards us long before we were born. <laughs> that even goes into uh, the 139th Psalm, which is very beautiful in its description of even us in the womb. But even prior to that, God's thoughts about us in Christ, before we ever were, as far as recognizing who we were, he recognized us. He's got a marvelous plan for us, by the way, and doesn't change it. So we see that, we see that he, he brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, this is what it says in Ephesians 5.30. We are his body. Whose body? Christ. We are his body, flesh, and bones. So he said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called Isha because she was taken out of Ish. This is the Hebrew. Therefore will a man, listen, 
leave his father and his mother. Very important in marriage. Very, very, very important. No longer will, will the headship, and of course, if there was a time as children where they had to have the parents to be over them, to train them, and Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way when he's young and when he's old. If he receives it, obviously, he won't depart from it. But then they're to leave. Leave. From thinking under. Literus, what it means. From thinking under now, mom and dad, as, as adults in marriage. And I no longer think under that anymore. It's new. This is a whole new relationship that he's brought us into. In the most intimate way. I mean, we lo you love godly parents and you love your parents and they meant a lot. But there's no intimacy expressed like there would be in marriage. That's what the enemy doesn't like. He hates the image of God expressed in a marriage. He cannot stand it. He wants to cause as much shame as he possibly can. Because we know that when he created them, look what it says here. Therefore a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave, become one. And this is expressing the beauty of sex in marriage, by the way. Sex is an expression of love. It's not love. First and foremost, marriage, yes, it was way more than just having children, although that's true. It was a beautiful, intimate expression of a love life, an intimacy above every other relationship that God could ever ordain. This is what brings out in the scriptures. Will cleave, will cleave unto his wife, and they will be what? One flesh. They don't have, there's not separate agendas. You're both 100% in Christ, in his order. Not 50 here and 50 there. And then we come and see if we agree. Never that way in God's way. No, never. A, a man can only do what God designed that man to do as a, as a head of a woman. And then he created the woman to do what only she could do as a helpmate for Adam. And then there's a oneness when we both have our place. Right? And then there won't be any arguments or disagreements or pointing fingers at each other. And we learn all these things in marriage, by the way. We all do, every single one of us. Because we're learning God's order, which is Christ. And God does all things honestly, sincerely, openly. In 1 Corinthians 40, uh, 14, verse 40, decently and in what? Order. There's order. And that's why, that's why 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not the author of confusion. Why do we argue? Why do we dispute? Why can't we see eye to eye? There's confusion. And who's the author of the confusion? The enemy. And he wants to bring in confusion in marriage and individuals because he cannot stand each of us, man and woman, husband and wife, functioning in the image that God's created us to be. Can't stand it. Hates it. Now we see this. Verse 25. Again, 24. And they will be what? One flesh. Yes. Not two fleshes. One flesh. Nothing between in intimacy and in his love. Verse 24, and they were both naked. 
That's right. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were what? Not what? They were not ashamed. But we know when Adam fell in Genesis, the third chapter, right? When they began to know each other after good and evil, according to how the enemy would tell them what good and evil was, Isaiah 5, verse 20, based upon Isaiah 8 and verse 20, there would be what? Is there any cause, if it's God's love, God's cause, is there any cause for shame in a marriage at any age, any time? Is there? Never. Never, ever, never, never. never. Listen, because whatsoever God does, he does what? In Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14, forever. And if there's shame, it's based upon confusion. That's right. It's based upon from the enemy. Trying to bring in shame in a marriage. They were both naked and they were not ashamed. Not ashamed. Now, to understand all of this, we go back. Because if we want to think of it in terms of scriptures, Genesis 1 verse 1 was the beginning of creation. Okay, That's when time was created for God to manifest the eternity of his mind through his precious son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we get into John, the first chapter. Okay, John, the first chapter. Here we see this. And this is how to understand and properly interpret Genesis, the first sec chapter, second chapter, and the third chapter. And this is how we see it. We see this very clearly here in John, chapter 1. And it says, in the beginning, the word, in the beginning, the beginning is us to understand God's eternity. <laughs> That's what this is stating. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word again with there is pros, P-R-O-S. It was affectionate embrace of an exchange of a love life that nothing could disturb or distract. Let me ask you, do you think there's any shame in Christ? Is there any shame in God, in Christ, in the Holy Spirit? None whatsoever. Who procured our salvation and made us in a proper image in Christ? He did. Any shame there? None whatsoever. Any confusion? None whatsoever. None. In the beginning, the word, the word with God and the word God. The same was in the beginning with God in eternity past. That's the best way we can say. For us finite beings. <laughs> All things were made by him. All things. All things. He made Adam and Eve for what? For a godly marriage. And in the godly marriage, would there be any shame whatsoever at any time in their marriage? And if there was shame, then what would God want to do with that? Do you remember when it says in Genesis 3 and verse 8, when it says after they had fallen in Genesis 3, 1 to 6, they had fallen, the enemy? Because he's very subtle, by the way. He's very subtle, meaning he has a way of giving us what he thinks and what he wants us to believe is some kind of wisdom. And somehow it's going to protect us, like shame's going to protect us, really. That will protect us, all right, from experiencing the intimacy of his love and the life that's been made ours, being made into the very image in Christ. So, again, here, the same 
was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. He, <laughs> Adam and Eve, what did he make them for? Marriage. What was, the, what was it to be expressive of? A love life without any shame. Period. None. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And if I don't have him experientially, and I don't experience his love in areas of my life, the most specific target that the enemy has is the marriage relationship. And if I don't experience love, what do I experience? Shame. And what is shame based upon? Evil. That's what it's based upon. That's what it's based upon. Okay. And without him was not made anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was what? The light of men. Go back to Genesis. You see the light? See how it correlates? This is God's eternal mind in eternity. Then God, Jesus Christ, in his pre-incarnate state, began to recreate the earth that he created beautiful long before the fall of Satan. And then he fell, and that's what you have too, Genesis 2. Then he began to recreate in Genesis 1, verses 3 through 31. He created the earth, finished it, and then in Genesis 2, 1 and 2, God rested from his works. And what does he rest? Who finished his works in John 4 and verse 34? Jesus Christ did in John 19 and verse 30. He finished it. And then God could rest in him. And you know what? You know what marriage is supposed to be? An expression and, re and revelation of? There's not an ounce of shame. There's nothing but rest in his love. And if I experience shame, can I experience the rest of his love? The answer is I can't. I cannot do it. None of us can. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness. Go back to Genesis again. And the darkness did not overwhelm it. That's the message. You cannot overwhelm, no matter what the enemy does, no matter what God allows the enemy to do, he cannot overwhelm God. He cannot overwhelm God because Christ has finished the works. The light shined in the darkness. The darkness didn't overwhelm it. Then we see down through there was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. We know this based upon Isaiah, the 40th chapter. Look at those first three verses and down through the chapter. It's a beautiful flow. Isaiah 40, watch how it flows in those 31 verses. Beautiful. Sent from God. The same came for a witness, a testimony, to bear testimony, witness of the light. He was very instructed, by the way, John the Baptist. Very much so. Because he was to bear witness of the light. He couldn't do so if he didn't have it. See? That all through him might believe he was not that light. No man is. No man is our authority. Jesus Christ is our authority. No pastor is our authority. Jesus Christ is our authority. No man, no pastor, no whoso whatever is our authority or our covering or our head. Never. It's Christ himself alone. Because when we rely on him, he will never fail us. Joshua 1.5, Hebrews 13, verse 5. He'll never fail us.
We may fail each other. He never fails us. Ever. Never does. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. Go back to Genesis, the first. God said, light be. That's what the Hebrew really says. It says, light be in this light. Christ comes and he starts, re, starts recreating the earth. <laughs> and of course, it was with the Holy Spirit. And it was all as, as one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, of which we are made in his image. By the way, we have spirit, soul, and body. And 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, created in God's image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Again, as we, uh, we've been given through teaching, uh, through others that God has used to teach us, that there are three properties in, in one ray of light that comes through the window. There's actinic, luminiferous, and calorific. Actinic light, you can neither see nor feel. That's, the Holy, that's God the Father. Okay? Luminiferous light, is that's Jesus Christ. You can feel him. You can see him. He can be seen and felt. We see him through the scriptures. We feel him through the light of the word. And then there's the calorific, that's God, the Holy Spirit. He cannot be seen, but he can be felt. We were made in his image for all of these things. And they all took place in terms of what Christ did, but never separated. In his pre-incarnate state, the Son, never separated from each other. And there's no true separation in a true marriage, by the way. And the enemy wants to use shame in some form to separate. And when we do, darkness covers a proper image. Darkness covers it. And we see ourselves after what the enemy dictates to us. And what we're supposed to look like in certain phases of our age and growth. And by the way, there's no shame in any of it in Christ, by the way. None whatsoever. And don't listen to his lies. Don't listen to him when he tries to tell us what we're not based upon what we did or what we don't do. He's a liar. That's a lie against the image of who God has made you and I to be in Christ. He's a father of all lies. Let me, let me tell you, he's a murderer in John 8, verse 44. He wants to murder us, murder us with guilt and shame through his deception in Revelations 12, 9, through his accusations. In Revelations 12 and verse 10, he's constantly accusing you and I. He can't even use sin. He tries to, to accuse us. God never does. Don't you love that he never removes his eye from the righteous? I get to see it every single morning. The enemy may come in like a storm in the night seasons. In the night seasons. And God lets him have his way. Because then I can sit there, and without, without the enemy doing a thing, he has to witness God coming right in with his love. See? I want you to see my sight, my son, my daughter. I never remove my eye from you, because you, my son has made you to be the righteousness of who you are in a brand new image. That brings out, again, Job 36 and verse 7, based upon 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. So as we begin to wrap this up this morning, we can see this in verse 9. That was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. Now, I have to pause here for a moment because there are many that will teach that when Adam fell, he didn't fall all the way. He only fell part way. This is where you have Quakerism and the so-called friends of society 
and they'll teach that there was still a little bit of light in man that God could use to light him up. That's false, evil teaching. He was the true light that lights every man in a fallen, ruined state that comes into the world. How did we come into the world? The Bible makes it clear in Psalm 51 and verses 4 and 5, specifically 51 and verse 5. I was conceived in iniquity, and in sin did my mother bring me forth. We were sin nature. So who did he light up from Adam on? Was there any light in Adam when he fell? No, there's a lot of teaching on that. I had to go through it and learn. And I'm still learning, and I love it too, by the way. He was the light, the true light, which lights every man that comes into the world. He was in the world. He came into this dark world. This is Ephesians 4 and verse 8 and verse 9. He came into, right into this dark world. Oh, didn't he know? But he had to go through it and feel how hated he would be. You know, when you look at the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you look at the Gospel of John, they constantly sought to kill him. Listen, every time you see the word kill there, where they wanted to kill Jesus, Literally, this is what it says, and it's the Hebrew word, and the, the Hebrew word is in Exodus 20 and verse 13, murder. When it says you shall not kill, okay, it's saying that in Exodus 20 verse 30, you're not to murder. You, there, is a, there is a killing that's of God in 1 Samuel 2.8, I kill, I make alive. The death penalty for murder, which is non-existent hardly anymore, but it was an institution of God set up in form of his government in Genesis chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Man gets in the way and he makes the word less. When we function in less than the light of the love of Jesus Christ, the love of God expressed through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be some form of shame. And we'll do everything we can to hide it. And we'll do everything we can when we don't experience love to try and do something about that shame and replace it with something other than what God has ordained to be. There's no question about it for any of us. I think we all know that in measure. He was in this world, Satan's world. The world didn't, didn't think anything of him. Who is he? They trampled on him like he was nothing. God's only son. What does, he, what does heaven think of him? God's son. Oh boy. And the world was made by him. This pre-incarnate state, this is what it says, Christ. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. What's that mean? Don't want to know him. Unsaved, I don't want to know him. I don't need him. Don't want to know him. Genesis 3, 1 through 6, subtle. You don't need God. That's what he told Eve. You don't need him. You can be like him without him. That's right. See, this is the way. Yeah. And what did it cause? What did he say? When they heard the voice of God walking in the garden, they hid themselves among the trees and they covered themselves. And when Jesus, the, the pre-incarnate Christ said to them in Genesis 3 and verses 10, 11, and 12, he said, who told you? He said, why did, did you hear me? And he said, well, I was afraid when I heard your voice. Why? Because I was naked. I was in shame. Do we see that? I was shame. Of course, then God clothed them in Genesis 3 and verse 21. But he said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you? 
Who declared your shame to you? Who declares shame to us? The enemy does. That's who. That's who. Well, he came unto his own now, his own people. And his own violently and murderously rejected him. But, and this is the parentheses. This is us. We're in this parentheses right now. Until the rapture happens. Then it closes. Prophecy begins. But here, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power, the authority, the right to become the sons of God to them that absolutely believe on his name, his person, and the work that he has accomplished, which were born not of blood, fallen, stained blood. I, again, Psalm 51, 4 and 5. Psalm 58, verse 3. The babes, some are experiencing some of this now in what are called the terrible twos. As soon as they be born and come out of the womb, they speak what? Lies. I don't need mommy and daddy. I can do just what I want. He tells us the same as his little children. We are all his little children, by the way. So loved. We're all his little techies. We don't need our father, our God. We don't need God as our father. And we don't need the Holy Spirit, who's like, I'm saying the mother heart of God. I don't like that expression. Though. I'm sorry, I don't. Just for me. He made woman that way, yes, but to express it. And both expressing Christ like only they can. <laughs> I don't need mommy and daddy anymore. As soon as they're born, they come out of the womb speaking lies. If they haven't spoken it yet, sooner or later they will. Which were, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Eh? No. No. Nor born of the will of man, but of God. That means Christ, by the way. And the word coming out in John 1 verse 1 was made, which was made flesh. He was still the son of God. There's all kinds of bad teaching about that, by the way. <laughs> and we've been gotten into that. We will. There were others. There's certain men that the enemy rose up to teach things that say he, he was truly human, but he wasn't God. And he was truly God, but he wasn't truly human. And so we see this. The word did become flesh. Just making it clear. He was still the son of God manifested as the son of man through a human body, a sinless human body. And by the way, no such thing as saying that when Jesus was tempted, which was means a test, God can be tempted with evil, James 1.13. Was God in Christ when the devil was trying to tempt him? So who was on trial? Christ or the devil? He doesn't tempt with evil. So he could have, and some would believe that he could have sinned, and he could have failed, but he didn't. Wrong, false teaching. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Same, hungry, thirsty, work, tired. Human nature, but not a sin nature. And we beheld his glory shining out through his humanity, impeccable humanity. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. He was filled up with all that grace and truth is. 
John bore witness, testimony of him, and cried out. Well, you should see these in the original Koine Greek New Testament. He cried it out. He cried it out in John 1.29 and again at 1.36. But he cried, this was he of whom I spoke. You know, the babe that was in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth, when he was six months old in the womb, and then instantly when, when Jesus' humanity was being formed and the 13-year-old, a 14-year-old peasant girl, Luke 1.35, down to the end, and you get in those uh, latter verses, he, he leaped in the womb of his mother. This is amazing to understand the word of God this way. And, say, and John bore witness of him. Yeah. You, you can't tell me a baby can't get affected in the womb, by the way, because they can be. Many believe that their full personality is developed by four years of age. I don't know, but God does. <laughs> we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only, uniquely, one-of-a-kind, begotten of the Father. He was filled up with all that grace and truth is. He bore witness of him. He cried and said, this was, this was he of whom I spoke. He that comes after me is, is preferred. Preferred here literally means, literally is in is sovereign preeminence. <laughs> he is in sovereign preeminence before me. Go back to John, the first chapter, in those first uh, three and four verses. For he was before me. There's the was in John 1, 1 and 2. And of his fullness have we all received grace. And grace for grace. Grace, anti, heaped up upon grace. Heaped up upon grace. For all eternity, by the way. Jesus 3.19. His love or past knowledge. Because even in a complete right standing for God, it's still not desert on our own. No merit on our own. But we're going to continue to receive without interruption, without stint. And of his fullness have we all received and grace heaped up upon grace. For the law was given by Moses that brought out sin and death in Romans 8, 2 and 3. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No created being. That's how you see it in the original. It's not an angel or no man. No created being has ever seen God at any time. Any time in all of eternity. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, Kopon, the place of the most intimate relationship, where he created man and woman in his image of a personal relationship in marriage without an ounce of shame whatsoever. Whatsoever. He is in the bosom, the most closest, deepest, most intimate place of the Father. He has spelled him out. That's what it says. He came out and he exegeted him. He spelled him out. This is bringing out all of this truth. And then finally, just as we close this morning, we're going to see all through the scriptures what Satan's plan is, what his plan was for Jesus. What was Satan's plan for Jesus? The whole time, from the time he was born, look in the Synoptic Gospels in the early chapters. King Herod, he wanted everyone killed from the age of two and under. What was, what was he trying to do? He was trying to murder Christ before he was born. Let me say this. He tries. He cannot touch us positionally. He tries to murder our experience. He wants to murder your image and my image, especially Please listen, especially in marriage. 
especially in marriage. He wants to destroy a proper image. And so we see that the whole time in John 7, verse 1, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he could not walk in Jewry. He couldn't walk among the Jews because they hated him. They were under the Satan and were his tool. And it says this, because the Jews sought to kill him, they sought to murder him. Why? Watch. Then we see all the way here, we see this in verse 16 of John 7. He said, my doctrine, my teaching is not my own, but his that sent me. If any man, man or woman, do his will, he will know, he will actually experience it as he submits to that knowledge. Knowledge is great, but if you don't submit to it, what good is it? It's just some form, some shape. He will know of the darkness, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaks of himself seeks his own. That's right. He that speaks of himself, interprets the scriptures that way, speaks of himself. What Paul was saying in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5 and in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 1 through 5. What he spoke wasn't of himself so that our faith wouldn't be in him or any other man, but in, in Christ, in God himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit. He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory, but he that seeks his glory, the glory of that Christ is, he's speaking of himself, by the way, who glorified the Father in John 17 and verse 4, and God the Father gave witness of it in John 13, uh, 31 and 32, he witnessed it and gave testimony of the glory of his glory being fulfilled in Christ and Christ glorifying him, thereby he glorifying Christ as, as the man. The same is true that's sent, necessary to be sent. The same is true and no unrighteousness is, even, is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? He's speaking to the Pharisees under the enemy, under Satan. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keep the law? Why do you go about to kill me? Why do you go about to murder me? Let me make it clear. The enemy wants to murder you and I. In the, mo in, in the expression of the most intimate relationship in marriage, he wants to murder. Murder that image experientially, because you can't touch it positionally in 1 John 5, 18. He, you cannot touch it. To this day, to this day, that's what he seeks to do. He hates the image of God expressed, expressed in the fullness of it in marriage. He took, he took Isha, Eve, out of Adam. He took us out of the second Adam, Christ. And then he, he will present him to the Son, the church. That's who we are. Listen, everything about the enemy is to cause some form of shame, guilt, and condemnation. The greatest place that he seeks to do so, I'm telling you, is in marriage. In marriage. And then he wants to make it a fault. If he can convince us that it's a fault, it's what we did or what we didn't do. This is Galatians 5 and verse 6. Listen, it's not... It's not the circumcision or uncircumcision, okay? And the enemy wants to use the law because he can condemn us with it. 
But really, Galatians 5, 6 really is saying, it's not what you do, circumcision, or uncircumcision. It's not what you do or what you don't do. It's a dependence, a submission to God. Faith expresses itself through what? Love. This is, this is literally bringing out the marriage relationship between the individual and God and bringing it out in manifestation on earth in its fullness through marriage. Through marriage. And the enemy wants to come in and cause shame, guilt, condemnation. He tries to flip the order like he tried with Eve. He tried it with Eve. Now Eve was deceived and functioning outside of her order. She was. That's what the Bible says, not me. The Bible. She was deceived. You see that in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. That's why in no way in any form of life on earth does she take the lead. You can tell me all you want. It's different. All the word was different back then. No, it's from an eternal viewpoint. Okay, so I want to make that crystal clear. No way does she ever take the lead. Ever. Never, never. She will be protected by Christ as the head when the husband doesn't function as a head, but she still never takes the lead. Christ does until, she gets, until Christ gets the husband to a proper place where now it's a flow of that order in love, in marriage. And the enemy does everything he can to come against us because he hates the image of God expressed in and through us experientially. We don't want to give place to the devil in Ephesians 4 and verse 27. To give place to the devil there is to give up experientially a proper image. For what? For shame? For guilt? For condemnation? Ever. Listen, first and foremost, yes, God created a marriage for an intimate relationship between two individuals. First and foremost. Then to procreate, yes. Yes. First and foremost, to have the pleasure of an exchange of love in an intimate relationship, cleaving. Look up the word cleave if you want to know what that means. Without an ounce of shame. Without an ounce of shame. He, God doesn't want, there's, there's, there's no shame. Because shame, what else, what else does shame bring in? Fear. And there's no fear in love in 1 John 4 and verse 8. There's no fear in love. The enemy wants to bring in shame because what does fear do? It keeps us from receiving what? Experientially, his love. Listen, in a marriage, in our marriage, in our relationships, in marriage, it's not what we do, it's what we don't do. There's no fault. We don't examine one another after each other's faults. We examine one another through the light of the scriptures. Then we're safe. <laughs> and then we see how he sees us. And it doesn't change. And Father, we do thank you so much for the beauty of Christ. The incredible, full expression that he is of the Godhead bodily. Colossians 2.9 he was filled up with all that of who God is, not was, but is. He continued to be that. And in the expression through the Son, he continued. He was filled up with all that all that God is, and that's Colossians 2 9. And Colossians 2 10 says, and we are filled up in him. <laughs> 
Oh, Lord, thank you for this fullness, the fullness of your love. We thank you. We praise you. And, oh, Lord, thank you so much for your love. And it's your love and your grace that so, without condemnation, without guilt, without putting anything on us, just to receive his loving correction. Loving, 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 loving correction. He's not pointing the finger at us. He's pointing towards his son in us. Resting. Jesus is resting in us. And he wants us to rest in him, in his love. And thank you, Lord, for your so great love in Jesus' name.